Wall Street Chronicles. I'm back at it again. Hi, um, thank you for stopping by and watching this YouTube stream. Uh, I would like to thank all of my subscribers for support. I would like to thank you for um, not only um, watching my streams on YouTube, also I would thank you guys for uh, listening to my podcast. Uh, my podcast, Black Wall Street Chronicles, is on anchor.com. You can listen to the podcast for free on Spotify. You can listen to the podcast for free on Instagram. Um, on, uh, have the brain for it. Uh, you can listen to it on Apple. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Google Play. Or you can listen to my podcast on the NewYorkCityPodcast.com. All right? So, in this today's episode, we're going to talk about the history of R&B. The blues has always been a favorite of mine, man. I decided to talk about the history of R&B because a lot of many people don't know about rhythm and blues, where it comes from, the different types of rhythm and blues, and if rhythm and blues is going to make a comeback because it kind of fell off after a couple of years, but it's okay. Give me one second. Often abbreviated as R&B or R&B, is a genre of popular music that originated in African American communities in the 1940s. The term was originally used by record companies to describe recordings marketing predominantly to urban African Americans at a time when urbane, rocking, jazz-based music with a heavy, insistent beat was becoming more popular. In the commercial rhythm and blues music typical of the 1950s through the 1970s. The band usually consisted of piano, one or two guitars, bass, drums, and one or more saxophones, and sometimes background vocalists. R&B lyrical themes often encapsulate the African-American experience of pain and the quest of freedom and joy, as well as the triumphs of failures in terms of relationships, economics, and aspirations. The stylistic origin origins of rhythm and blues is jazz, blues, spiritual, gospel, boogie, woogie, jazz, jump blues, swing. The derivative forms of rhythm and blues is funk, SKA, doo-wop, soul, rock and roll, reggae, disco, beat music, mob revival, hip-hop, zydeco. The subgenres are contemporary R&B, smooth jabs, alternative R&B, and neo-soul. The term rhythm and blues has undergone a number of shifts in meaning. In the early 1950s, it was frequently applied to blues records, starting in the mid-1950s 
after this style of music contributed to the development of rock and roll. The term R&B became used to refer to music styles that developed from the incorporated electric blues, as well as gospel and soul music. In the 1960s, several British rock bands, such as the Rolling Stones, the Who, and the Animals, were referred to and promoted as being R&B band posters for the Hughes residency at Marquis Cup. In 1964, Clotin and Stone Maximum R&B. Their mix of rock and roll and R&B is known as British rhythm and blues by the end of the 1970s. The term rhythm and blues had changed again and was used as a blanket term for soul and funk in the late 1980s. A new style of R&B developed becoming known as contemporary R&B. It requires rhythm and blues with elements of pop, soul, funk, disco, hip-hop, and electric music. Although Jerry Rexa of Billboard magazine is credited with coining the term rhythm and blues and was a musical term in the United States in 1948, the term was used in Billboard as early as 1943. It replaced the term race music, which originally came from the black community, but was deemed offensive in the post-war world. The term rhythm and blues was used to Billboard its chart listings from June 1949 to August 1968. With his hot rhythm and blues singles chart renamed as best-selling soul singles, before rhythm and blues was named instead, various record companies have already become replacing the term rapes music in several series. Writer and producer Robert Palmer defined rhythm and blues as a catch-all term referring to any music that was made by or for Black Americans. He has used the term R&B as a synonym for jump blues. However, all music separates from his jump blues because of R&B's gospel influences. Lawrence Cohen, author of Nothing But The Blues, writes that rhythm and blues was an umbrella term invented for industry convenience. According to him, the term embraced all black music except classical music and religious music. Unless a gospel song sold enough to break the charts, as well as in the 21st century, the term rhythm and blues continued its use in some contexts. To categorize music made by black musicians as the thing for styles of music made by other musicians. In the commercial rhythm and blues music typical of the 1950s to the 1970s, the band usually consists of piano, one of them two guitars, bass, drums, and saxophones. Arrangement reversed to the point of effortless and were sometimes accompanied by background vocalists. Simple rhythm parchments creating momentum and rhythmic interplay producing metal lifting and offering hypnotic textures while calling attention to no individual sound. While singers are emotionally engaged with the lyrics, often intensely so, they remain cool, relaxed, and in control. The band stressed in suits, evening uniforms. A practice associated with the modern popular music that rhythm and blues performers aspire to dominate. Lyrics also seem fatalistic, and the music typically follow predictable patterns of chords and structure. One publication of the Sismonian Institution provided a summary of the origins of the genre in 2016. It is a distinctly African-American music draw for the deep tribute tributaries of African-American expression of culture. There's an album of jump blues, big bang, swing, gospel, boogie, and blues that was initially developed during a 30-year period that bridges the era of legally sanctioned racial segregation, international conflicts, and the struggle for civil rights.
The term rock and roll has strong sexual connotation in Trump rules and R&B, but when DJ Adam Free referred to rock and roll mainstream media radio in the mid-1950s, sexual component had been beyond doubt enough to simply became an acceptable term for dancing. The great migration of black Americans to the urban industrial centers of Chicago, Detroit, and New York City, Los Angeles, somewhere in the 1920s and 1930s, created a new market for jazz, blues, and related genres. Yeah, right when I'm streaming. Give me a second, guys. Black Americans to the urban industrial centers of Chicago, Detroit, and New York City, Los Angeles, elsewhere in the 1920s and 1930s. Create a new market for jazz, blues, and relevant genres of music. These genres of music was often performed by full-time musicians, either working alone or in small groups. The weakest curses of rhythm and blues came from jazz and blues, which overlap in the late 1920s and 1930s the work of musicians such as the Harlem Hatfacts, with their 1936 hit Red, as well as Lonnie Johnson, Leroy Carr, Cobb Calloway, Count Basie, T-Ball Walker. There's also emphasis on the electric guitar as a lead instrument, as well as the piano and the saxophone. In the late 1940s, 1948, RCA Victor was marketing black music under the name Blues and Rhythm. And in that year, Louis Jordan dominated the top five listings of R&B charts with three songs. And two of the top five songs were based on boogie-woogie rhythms that had come to prominence during the 1940s. Jordan's band, The Tiffany Five, formed in 1938, consisted of the saxophone and vocals, among the musicians on trumpet, tenor saxophone, piano, bass, and drums. Lawrence Cohen described the music as grittier than his boogie-era jazz tingle blues. Robert Palmer described it as urbane, rocking, jazz-based music with a heavy instance and beat. Jordan's music, along with Big Joe Turner, Roy Bound, Brody Wright, and Rayon Harris, is now referred as jump blues. Already all hitting. Wardbot and others had hits in the style known referred to rhythm and blues. In 1948, Reynolds Harris remake of Brown's 1947 recording, Good Morning Tonight, reached number two in the charts, following band leader Sonny Thompson's Long Gone at number one. The term rhythm and blues replaced the Billboard Gallery recording, Harlem Hit Parade. Also in any of the Hucklebuck, recorded by band leader and saxophonist Paul Williams, was the number one R&B tune, remaining at the top of the charts for nearly the entire year. Written by musician and arranger Andy Gibson, the song was described as a dirty boogie because it was risky and raunchy. Paul Williams and his Hucklebucker concerts were steady righteous affairs that got shut down more than one occasion. 
I remember that song. It was on the Hunkabuck. Do the Hunkabuck, do the Hunkabuck, do the Hunkabuck. That's how it goes, I guess. Their lyrics by Roy Alford wrote the 1955 hit, The Rock and Rose Remind us actually suggested that one teenager from Philadelphia said that the Hucklebuck was a very nasty dance. Also in 1949, the new version of the 1920s blues song, Ain't Nobody's Business, was the number one four hit for Jimmy Witherspoon and Willis Jordan, and the Tiffany Five once again made the top with Saturday Night Live, Fish Fry. Many of these hit records were issued on new independent record labels such as Savoy, Fathered in 1942, King, Fathered in 1943, Imperial, 1945, Specialty, Fathered in 1946, Chess, Fathered in 1947, and Atlantic, Fathered in 1948. African-Cuban Rhythmic Influence. African-American music began to incorporate African-Cuban rhythm motifs in the, in the 1800s with the popularity of the Cuban Contradessa. Known outside of Cuba as the Habanada. The Habanada rhythm can be thought as a combination of Tesso and the backbeat. For more than a quarter century in the Cape Walk ragtime, provincials were forming and developing. The Cuban genre Habanada is an excellent presence of the African American popular music. Jazz pioneer Martin considered the Tesso Habanada rhythm, which he called Spanish Link Team to be an essential agreement of jazz. There's examples of trestle-like rhythms in some African-American folk music, such as the hand clapping and foot stabbing patterns in ring shell, post-roll, drum, and fife music in the New Orleans second line music, which themselves consider trestle to be one the New Orleans clave, although technically the platter is only half a clave. Trestle is the most basic duple post-rhythm so in Saharan African music traditions, the issues of African American music is one of the clearest examples of African rhythm retention in the United States. The use of trestle is continuously reinforced by the consecutive waves of Cuban music, which were adopted into North American popular culture. In 1940, Bob released Rum Boogie, a boogie boogie with trestle baseline, and Lucas probably declared the adoption of Cuban rhythm. <laughs> Uh, Harlem's got a new rhythm man and it's burning the dance floors because it's too hot. They took a little rumble rhythm and added boogie woogie and now look what they got. Rum boogie. It's all a new creation with the Cuban sonicma. So, synchronization is killing. Just plant your both feet on each side, put both your hips and shoulder glide. And throw your body back and ride. There's nothing like rum boogie, rum boogie, rum boogie, woogie. The Harlem or Havana, you can kiss old Savannah, it's a killer. Mm. Although originally in the metropolis amount of Mississippi River, New Orleans blues with its Afro-Caribbean rhythmic traits is distinct from the sound of Mississippi Delta blues. In the late 1940s, New Orleans musicians was especially receptive to Cuban influence precisely at the time when R&B was forgotten. It was first used a trestle on R&B and curled in New Orleans, Robert Palmer recalls.
New Orleans produced a band made of Dave Bartholomew. Bartholomew. First employed as a saxophone section riff in his own 1949 disc, County Boy. It supposedly helped make the most ever used rhythm pattern in the 1950s rock and roll. On numerous recordings by Fats Domino, Little Richard, and others, Bartholomew assigned his repeating pattern not just the same bass, but also electric guitars and even baritone sax, making it very heavy and bottom. He recalls first hearing the figure as a bass pattern on Cuban disc. In a 1988 interview with Prama by the first R&B studio band, Wilhelm initially superimposed trestle over swing with it. I heard it a bass playing the part of Wimber record on the county on Country Boy. I had my bass and drums playing a straight swing rhythm and wrote out the Wimber bass part of the saxes to play on top of the swing rhythm. Later, especially after rock and roll came along, I made the Wimber bass part heavier and heavier. Now I have a string bass on electric guitar and a baritone in unison. Bartholomew referred to the Cuban son by the misnomer Wimber a commonplace of the time, Fat Domino's Blue Monday, produced by Bartholomew, is another example of the now classic use of Trishlo in R&B. Bartholomew's 1949 Trishlo based Old is an attempt to blend African-American and Afro-Cuban music. The word Afro, larger than any other test, is placed in prominently on a record label, and its composition, Misery, New Orleans pianist Professor Longhair, plays a habanero-like figure in his left hand. The dub use of triplets is a characteristic of Longhorn's long hairstyle. The dark Cuban rhythm notes that with the exception of New Orleans, early moves like complex polyrhythms, there was a very specific absence of astronomical timelines in virtually all the 20th century African-American music. And only in some of these genres does a hidden simple timeline pattern occasionally appear in a form of transient so-called stomp patterns or tribe chorus. These are not function in the same way as African timelines. In the late 1940s, this charge somewhat in the two-cell line structure was brought into the blues. New Orleans musicians such as Bartholomew and Longhead incorporated Cuban instruments as well as the clay pattern and related to both figures and songs such as Carnival Day. Bartholomew in 1949 and Mardi Gras in New Orleans Longhair were some of the early experiments where aqua fusions and Afro elements were eventually integrated fully into New Orleans sound. Robert Palmer reports that in 1940s, the professor Longhair listened to and played the musicians from the islands and fell under the spell of Prairie's Prado's Mamba records. He especially enamored with Afro Cuban music. Michael Campbell states Professor Longhair's influence was far reaching. Several of his early recordings, Professor Longhair blended Afro Caribbean rhythms with rhythm and blues. The most explicit is Longhair's blues rumba. He always a straightforward blues with clave rhythm. Longhair's particular style was known locally as Wombo Boogie. 
Ms. Mari Bras, New Orleans, the piano employs two, three, clave on beat, offbeat Monteith, and a rumba boogie. A strange subdivision feel of Cuban music as opposed to swing subdivisions. So group in New Orleans R&B during this time. Alexander City states that the popular felt was passed along from New Orleans through James Brown's music to the popular music of the 1970s, adding the single style of rhythm and blues that will emerge in New Orleans in the years after World War II, played an important role in developing of funk and related development, the underlying rhythms of American popular music. Underwent a basic yet genetically unacknowledged transition from triplet or shuffle fill to even a straight eighth notes. Concerning the various funk motifs, Stewart states that this model is different from timeline, such as clave and treasure, and that is not exact pattern, but more of a news organizing principle. Johnny Otis released the R&B Mambo, Mambo Boogie, in January 1959, featuring Congress, Macratas, Clays, Mambo saxophone. Grottos and blues progression, Ike Turner recorded Cubano Jump, an electric car instrumental, which is built around 2-3 clay figures adopted from the Mambo, the Hawkins, and Mardi Gras Mambo. Featuring Marcus and Young Art Nouvelle, making a clear reference to Perez Prado and their use of his trademark uh, in the break after the introduction. Neb Sublet states that electric blues cats were well aware of Latin music there was definitely such a thing as Woomba Blues. You can hear Money Rollers and Hobbit both playing it. He also excites artists Russ Ike Ray Charles as R&B artists who employed this field. The use of clave in R&B coincided with the growing dominance of the Black Bean and the rising popularity of Cuban music in the U.S. in a sense clave can be distilled down to Treslo into the Black Bean two sides. The Bo Diddley beat is perhaps the first true fusion of 3-2 clave in R&B rock and roll. Bo Diddley's subsequent asserts, in the context of time and especially those maracas, Bo Diddley has to be understood as a Latin ting record. A rejected cut recording the same session was tilted only rumba on the track sheets. Johnny Otis William Hand Drive is another example of successful blend of 3-2 claves in R&B. The oldest used the cute instruments, clays, and maracas on the song. Afro-Cuban music was the conduit by which African-American musicers were Africanized. Through the adoption of two self-figures like clave and Afro-Cuban instruments like conga drum, bongos, maracas, and claves. According to John Stone Roberts, R&B became the vehicle for the return of Cuban elements into mass popular music. Producer for Atlantic Records is supported to say that Afro-Cuban rhythms added color and excitement to the bass drive in R&B. As Ned Sublet points out, though, by the 1960s, where Cuba, the object of the United States embargo that still remains in effect today, the island has been forgotten as a source of music. By the time people begin to talk about rock and roll as having a history, Cuban music has vanished from North American consciousness. That's sad.
I'm going to talk about early, mid-1950s, the late-1950s. Yeah, I know where I'm going to go with this. It's, the article's doing it for me. At first, the only African-Americans were buying R&B discs, according to Jerry Wesker of Atlanta Records. Sales was localized in African-American markets. There was no right sales, no radio play during the early 1950s. Well, white teenagers started to become aware of R&B to purchase the music. For example, 40% of the 1952 sales of Dolphin Hollywood Record Shop, located in African America or Los Angeles, were to rights. Eventually, white teens across the country turned their music tastes towards rhythm and blues. Johnny Otis, who has signed with Newark, New Jersey band Savoy Records, produced many R&B hits in 1951, including Double Crossing Blues, Mistrusting Blues, Cupid Boogie, all of hit number one last year. Other score top 10 hits that year, other include G's Baby, Mambo Boogie, and All Night Long. The Clovers and Queens are consistent vocal quartet of accompanying guitarists, singing the center sounding combination of blues or gospel. At the number one five hit for the year, Don't, Don't Know I Love You on Atlantic, also in July 1951. Cleveland, Ohio, DJ Alan Free started a late-night radio show called the Moondog Rock House Party on WJW. Free show was sponsored by Fred Mintz, whose R&B records still have prominently African-American clientele. Free began referring to the rhythm and blues music as he's played rock and roll. In 1951, Little Richard Penny began recording RCA records in the jump blues styles in the late 1940s. Stars Roy Brown and Britton Wright. However, he was not totally prepared to demo in 1954. Then he caught the attention of specialty records. That the world will start to hear his new uptempo, funky rhythm and blues that would catapult him to fame in 1955. It helped define the sound of rock and roll. A rapid succession of rhythm and blues that hits follows, beginning with Tootie Fruity and Long Tall Sally which would influence performers such as James Brown's Elvis Presley and Otis Redding. Ruth Brown on the Atlantic label plays hits in the top five every year from 1951 through 1954. Tear drops from my eyes, five, 10, 15 hours. Mama, he treats you, what me, and what a dream. Faze Adams, Shaking Hand made it to number two in 1952. In 1953, the R&B record Brian Public made Willie Mae Thornton's original recording of Lieber and Stola's Hondo. The number three that year, Ruth Brown was very prominent along female R&B stars. Popularity was most derived because of deeply rooted folk delivery in African-American tradition. This same year, the Orioles, a doo-wop group, had the number one hit of the year with Crying in the Chapel. Fats Domino made the 30th charts in 1952 and 1953, then in the top 10 with Ain't That a Shame. Ray Charles came to national prominence in 1955 with I Got a Woman. Bill Berg, Ronzi, upset of Charles' music. He's mixing the blues with the spirituals. I know that's wrong. In 1954, the chorus Shaboom became the first hit. Early in the year, late in the year, into 1955, Hearts of Stones. By the charms made in the top 20. 
In chess rooms in the spring of 1955, Bo Diddley's debut record, Bo Diddley, I am, I'm a man, climbs into the R&B charts and popularized Bo Diddley's own rhythm and blues clave-based band that will become a mainstay in rock and roll. At the urging of Rod Chess and Chess Records, Chuck Berry had reworked a country fiddle tune with a long history entitled Ida Red. The resulting Maybelline was not only number three hit on the R&B charts in 1955, but also reached the top 30 of the pop charts. Alan Free were moved into the much larger market in New York City in 1954, helped the world become popular with white teenagers. Freed had been given part of the writing credit by Chess in return for his promotional activities and common practice at the time. R.B. was a strong influence in rock and roll, according to many sources, including an article in the Wall Street Journal in 1985. Rock is still rhythm and blues. In fact, the author stated that the two terms were used interchangeably until about 1957. The other sources quoted in the article said rock and roll combined R&B with pop and country music. Fats Domino was not convinced as they any new genre. In 1957, he said they can call rock and roll now rhythm and blues. I've been playing it for 15 years in New Orleans, according to Rolling Stone. That's a violent statement. At 50s rockers, black and white country born, city bred, were fundamentally influenced by R&B black popular music of the late 40s and early 50s. Hmm. In 1956, the R&B top of 56 took place with headliners, Alvin, Frankie Lyman, and the teenagers, and Carl Perkins, whose blue suede shoes was very popular with R&B music buyers. Some of the performers completing the bill were Chuck Berry, Kathy Carr, Shelly and Lee, Della Reese, Sam T. Jensen, the Cleftones, and the Spanish with the Illinois jacket, Big Rock and Rhythm Band. Cities visited by the tour included Columbia, South Carolina, Indianapolis, Maryland, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Syracuse, Rochester, and Buffalo, New York, and other cities. In Columbia, the concert ended with a near riot as Perkins began his first song as the closing act. Perkins is saying it was dangerous, a lot of kids got hurt. In Emily, with 7,000 to 50,000 people tried to attend a sold out performance with 8,000 seats. Roseville Clouds was seven hours. Filmmakers took advantage of the popularity of rhythm and blues musicians as rock and roll musicians began in 1956. Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Big Joe Turner, the Trainers, the Platters, the Flamingos, all made it onto the big screen. Two Elvis Presley records made the R&B time in 1957, Jailhouse Rock, Treat Me Nice, and Number One, and All Shook Up at Number Five. An unprecedented acceptance of non-African-American artists into a music category known for <coughs> being created by Blacks. Nat King Cole, also a jazz pianist, who had hits on the pop charts in the early 1950s. Mother Lisa at number two in 1950, and Too Young at number one in 1951. Had a record in top five R&B charts in 1958, looking back to I Like It.
1959, two black-owned record labels, one which would become hugely successful, made their debut. Sam Cooke's star, Barry Gordon's Motown Records, Brooke Brethren, was at the top of the R&B charts in 1959 and 1960, with number one and two number one hits. Benton had a certain warmth in his voice that attracted to a wide variety of listeners. And his ballads led to comparisons with performers such as Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, and Tony Bennett. Boy Price, who was in 1952, had a number one hit with Liz Marty Claudy. Regarding predominance with a version of Stagger Lee and number one in personality and number five all in 1959. The white band leader of Bill Black Combo, Bill Black, who helped Elvis Presley career, and it was Elvis Bassett in the 1950s, was popular with black listeners. 90% of his record sales were from black people in Smoking Part 2. Rose the number one position of black music charts. He was once told in a lot of these stations that you think you're a black group because it sounds funky and black. He did not fit your picture on a combo or early records. Sam Cooke's number five is Internet of R&B in the 1960s. As prop rapper Chubby Checker's number five hit the twist by the early 1960s. The music industry periods known as rhythmless boat was being called soul music, or similar music by white writers was later blue-eyed soul. Motown Records had his first million selling single in the 1960s with the miracle shop around. In the 1961, Stack Records had his first hit with Carla Thompson's Gene Wiz, Look at His Eyes. Stacks major hit the Marquis instrumental last night, included the raw Memphis soul sound, which Stacks became known in Jamaica, inspiring the influence of development of Sucker. In 1969, black culture, rhythm and blues reached another great achievement with a Grammy first added the rhythm and blues category, giving academic recognition to the category. By the 1970s, the term rhythm and blues was being used as a blanket form of full uh, soul, funk, and disco. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, hip-hop started to capture imagination of America's youth. R&B started to become homogenized, with a group of high-profile producers responsible for most R&B hits. It was hard for R&B artists of this era to sell their music or even have their music heard because of the rise of hip-hop, but some adopted a hip-hop image. Remarkably, as such, often featured rappers to their songs. There was artists such as Usher, R. Kelly, Jackson, TLC, Aaliyah, Destiny's Child, Kevin Campbell, and Mary J. Blige enjoy success. L.A. Reid, the CEO of LaFace Records, was responsible for some of the R&B's great success in the 1990s in the form of Usher, TLC, and Tony Braxton. Later on, so sexually marketed boys to men. In 2004, 80% of the songs that topped the R&B charts were also on the top of Hot 100. That period was the all-time peak for R&B and hip-hop on the Billboard Hot 100 and the Top 40 radio. For about 2004 to 2013, R&B sales declined. However, since 2010, hip-hop has started to take from R&B sound, choosing to adopt a soft and smoothing sound, Incorporate that traditional R&B with rappers such as Drake, 
was opened an entirely new door for the genre. This sound was gained popularity and created great controversy, but both hip hop and R&B and how to identify it. Jews in the business and the rhythm of blues. Quoting a Jewish writer, music publishing executive and songwriter Arnold Shaw, during the 1940s in the U.S., there was generally little opportunity for Jews in the wasp-controlled realm of mass communication. This is the article saying this, not me. Wasp-controlled realms of mass communication. But the music business was wide open for Jews as it was for blacks. Jews played a key role in developing popularizing African-American music, including rhythm and blues, and the independent record business was dominated by young Jewish men who promoted the sounds of black music. All right, y'all. And that is the history of rhythm and blues in the African-American community. So, if you like this stream, please subscribe, please like button, please share it. This is information for anybody that wants to get into rhythm and blues and any form of music in the African-American community and also in the African-American community. This is Black Wall Street Chronicles and I'm Jeffrey Frazier signing off.